0: today on truths that transform what difference does christianity make the eloquence of his christian life was credited with changing england
1: god is very interested in government it's his idea
2: Welcome to Truth the Transform, a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries. I'm Pastor Rob Pacienza. We're so glad you've tuned in today. Also, make sure you connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube by looking for D. James Kennedy Ministries. This ministry recently relaunched our D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Statesmanship in Washington, D.C., It's a vital ministry you'll be hearing about more in the upcoming days. But why are we doing this, and what is a Christian statesman anyway? On today's program, we'll explain. Dr. Kennedy recognized that our nation was perishing for a lack of Christian statesmen. As we carry out his vision and mission, a renewed commitment to his center for Christian statesmanship has become a priority. Here's David Wright with more.
3: Founded in 1995, the D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Statesmanship has impacted thousands of lives by bringing a gospel witness, Christian discipleship, and a vision for Christian statesmanship to leaders in Washington, D.C. The D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Statesmanship is working to make a difference. The D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Statesmanship has been the product of a visionary leader in D. James Kennedy himself who understood that in order for the body of Christ in America to serve the purposes of our God and execute in the Great Commission, we needed to have a light in the capital city, Washington, D.C. And so the fruit that has been born from that ministry has been an indelible impact on our society's fabric, on our social fabric, and on people like me understanding how we need to combine our commitment to Christ, and our commitment to civic engagement. The center's founding director, Dr. Frank Wright, started by directly ministering to senators and congressmen in their offices on Capitol Hill, and leading Bible studies with both elected representatives and Hill staffers. The thing that was so amazing about the Center for Christian Statesmanship was that it offered an opportunity to plug into Bible studies, um, opportunities to um, be involved in worship services right here on the Hill, and ways to connect with other Christians. The Center for Christian Statesmanship has recently been relaunched and is now being headed up by their new executive director, Lauren Cooley.
1: We just relaunched the center and we're very excited about it. One of the things that's so encouraging for me is that when I'm in Washington, D.C., and I'm on the Hill, uh, everyone knows the name D. James Kennedy, and there's still that um, excitement and respect for our founder, um, knowing that he was a trailblazer in many ways when it comes to Christians and conservatives being involved in the public square, and it's something that we still carry that banner forward today.
0: There's never been a more important moment for the relaunch of a center for Christian statesmanship like what we're launching here in Washington, D.C., like right now. We are living in a time of cynical politics. We're living in a time of power politics that really invokes the memory of the Roman Empire. Uh, People are hardened by it. People are discouraged by it, and we need to raise the Judeo-Christian vision of the calling to Christian statesmanship, the the vision of service, uh, the nobility of it, that God is involved, that there are values and ethics that he has given us, that there are guidelines for leadership that can transform a society.
1: I have a diverse background in politics and government and journalism and really feel like the Lord's brought me to multiple different uh, stops in my career to bring me to the Center for Christian Statesmanship. Uh, I've had the opportunity to work on political campaigns. Uh, I've had the opportunity to work for the Republican Party in a few different capacities. I've served as um, an editor for a national publication based out of DC. Um, I have served as chief of staff for a city official. Uh, all those are very different roles within the political realm, um, but it's given me great insight to all the different facets within politics. I think. That, coupled with my Christian worldview, has really given me the the perfect mix to bring to the Center for Christian Statesmanship.
3: Washington, D.C. has long been known as the Swamp, and the Center for Christian Statesmanship aims to bring the light of God's Word to an area that desperately needs it. I think it's been important to have a source like the Center for Christian Statesmanship in Washington, D.C. because sometimes even our elected officials don't know how uh, to introduce or to integrate their faith with their role in government. Each year, the center confers an annual award, the Distinguished Christian Statesman Award, upon a man or woman who has set themselves apart in the political arena through outstanding service as a Christian statesman.
1: The recipients for the Distinguished Christian Statesman Award all share very similar characteristics. Not only do they have a private faith, but they have a public faith that they live out in the public square. They're bold and courageous in the things that they say, they take a stand for truth, and they lead in a way where they're distinctively Christian, they don't compromise on their values, and everyone knows that they truly are a distinguished Christian statesman by the way they live their lives.
3: Past recipients have included Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma, former Vice President Mike Pence, John Ashcroft, who went on to become U.S. Attorney General, and most recently, Winsome Sears, the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia.
1: God is very interested in government. It's his idea. Government was always his idea. It was never supposed to be this way. We're living in chaos.
2: I thought the election of Winsome Sears in Virginia was such a monumental event. She embodies everything that America ought to be. This is a person who came up uh, from a tough environment. She uh, served our country in the military. She's uh, a racial minority. And for anyone to say, well, you know, all the people on the uh, right of center are racist. And they look at Winsome Sears and they say, that, that doesn't really work uh, for people like Winsome Sears. I think she's the future of the uh, conservative movement.
1: We were proud to award Winsome Sears uh, with the Distinguished Christian Statesman Award, and it was because of her bold character, the way that she lives out her faith publicly. Uh, You cannot watch an interview with Winsome Sears without seeing her quote scripture. Uh, She knows scripture, internalizes it, and then professes it uh, to the nation. And you can also see this in the way that she governs with her policy stances, her important crusade for allowing parents to be involved in their kids' education, um, religious liberty, and those other issues that really matter to Christians across the country.
3: The center will continue to train and equip present and future political leaders with the biblical worldview in order to maintain a strong presence of Christian statesmanship in Washington,
0: D.C. When you have a presence of leaders that realize that America is special, that we have in America the individual right to conscience, uh, rights from a creator, individual choice, these are freedoms that America has. They need to be passed on, and the Center for Christian Statesmanship teaches this and and acts as a positive influence in the most powerful city on the planet, Washington, D.C.
2: The D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Statesmanship is one of those shining lights in in what I think is a very dark city. It's a city driven by power, by money, by influence. Uh, You need a voice that is advancing the kingdom of God right there in the midst of it. You know, Jesus went into the cities. He didn't just stay in the outskirts. He didn't hide in rural areas. He was always ministering in in the cities. Uh, Why wouldn't Christians want to do the same, especially in the most powerful city in the world? Uh, We've got to have a presence there. The D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Statesmanship does that.
4: Are you confused by the advancement of radical claims about gender in our schools, courts, and government? We have an important booklet to send you called, What Does the Bible Teach About Gender Identity? This short, easy-to-read booklet will help you understand what this issue is all about. We'll send it to you at no cost or obligation to you. Contact us today and ask for What Does the Bible Teach About Gender Identity?
2: We are excited to have a strategic presence in Washington, D.C. during this pivotal time in our nation through the D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Statesmanship. As America becomes increasingly secular and drifts further from our Christian foundations, the need for Christian statesmen is greater than ever. You might ask what a Christian statesman looks like. Well, William Wilberforce would be a good place to start. Dr. Kennedy explains in this portion of his address to the Center for Christian Statesmanship's 10th Anniversary Gala in 2005.
0: William Wilberforce. Not a name that is a household name in America, but of course he was British, born and lived his life in England, but other men who were British are perhaps better known, such as William Carey, who was the founder of the modern missionary movement, and uh, David Livingston, who was Scottish, a part of Great Britain and so impacted and transformed the continent of Africa. William Wilberforce was a remarkable man. He uh, was a man that had a few outstanding gifts, and one of those was his ability to speak. He worked at it diligently, indefatigably for many years. He worked at learning how to speak. He was no doubt gifted some way in that direction, but he felt that it was something that he needed to work on. So he worked on it every day. I couldn't tell you how many hours, but it was not uncommon in his day to spend several hours a day in declamation. I've met very few people in America that even know what that is. And yet many of the greats of the 18th and 19th century, both in America and in Great Britain and other places, spent hours each day in which they would stand before a mirror and they would give speeches. They would speak for hours, learning how to speak better and better. That's called declamation. And he did that. He learned how to speak. Now, Charles Spurgeon was also a great speaker, and he would get very angry when people would say, oh, he has this marvelous gift. He had worked for years to improve his ability to speak. When he came to London, the professor of rhetoric at Cambridge, I believe it was, was giving a talk on the perfect orator. And he described every aspect of the perfect orator. When he got through, he said, and now if you would like to see such a person, a living person, then visit the Metropolitan Tabernacle where a young man who was about 21 had just come to London. He was... Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who came to be known as one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. He had worked thousands and thousands of hours. And people said, oh, he has that gift. That really was not something you want to say to Charles Spurgeon. You might get a a lecture from him about that. Well, gift or not... Wilberforce perfected that as well. He was blessed. His father left him a fortune. His uncle, his grandfather left him a fortune. His uncle left him another one. He was one of the most wealthy people in England. He hobnobbed in his younger years with all of the greats. He was an intimate friend of the prime minister. He was very worldly, charming, witty, uh, Friendly kind of young man. Then one day his mother said that she would like to spend the summer on a tour of Europe. And Wilberforce invited one of his old school teachers when he was in school to go with him. And they read Philip Doddridge's uh, wonderful devotional book all the way as their, as their carriage uh, wended his way through the countries of uh, Europe. And it came back, had a big impact on him, but he, he thought about becoming a Christian. But he said if he did, he would probably lose all of his invitations to the best parties in England. So he didn't. But the next summer, he decided to take another trip by himself without his mother, who watched over him very carefully because she was concerned for his well-being. She did not want him to become too religious for similar reasons, no doubt, his uh, standing in the elite community of Great Britain. But he did invite Donnerage to go again, and this time Dotteridge decided what they would do is read the Bible on their trip through England. And of course they would read, as every halfway educated Englishman at the time could do, they would read the Greek New Testament. I trust that's what all of you read, isn't it? Uh, read the Greek New Testament? Well, it's very interesting. I highly recommend it. I've read it almost every day for 50 years. I commend it to you. So they were going along reading the Bible. Now, this was the very Word of God, and it pierced this young man's heart, and he was converted to Christ. When he came back, it caused a great shock and his friends said that he had lost his mind. He had become mad. He was melancholy. But when they, that was the rumor, but when they saw him, he was the least melancholy man they'd ever seen in, his, in their lives. He was filled with joy. And also, he was even more considerate and compassionate and loving. In fact, they said he was the most compassionate and loving man in all of England. They couldn't figure out what had happened to him. And he decided he'd have to leave his position in Parliament, which, by the way, he ran for office, this giant of a man, at the age of 21, and was elected. Four years later, he was elected to the largest county in England because of his enormous speaking ability. He didn't know he thought he ought to quit that and do something less secular and more religious he went to see john newton because there was something he was that he was really concerned about and that was slavery and he thought newton ought to know something about it since he had been a slave trader in his unconverted days and he said do not leave your position in parliament you would be deserting the calling that god has called you to and so he decided to stay and he decided also that he would find the greatest cause that he knew about, and he would give his life to that cause. And the cause he chose was the end of slavery in Great Britain. But there was hardly any part of English business that wasn't wrapped around slavery in some way or another. So what did he do? He decided he'd give a talk. He spent two years studying to give that talk. He finally stood up in Parliament and spoke, and he was by this time probably the greatest speaker in Parliament. He spoke for four and a half hours. He made his motion to end the slave trade in Great Britain. The motion was defeated, roundly defeated. Well, he did not give up, came back the next year. Gave another speech, another motion, defeated. Next year, defeated. The next year, defeated. He gave up the next year. Came back the following year and gave another speech and another 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 and another. Finally, the vote was positive and the British slave trade ended but that was only half of his goal. It was to end slavery in all of the British colonies. So he set himself to that again, 25 more years. Now he is an elderly man. There are still hundreds of thousands of slaves in British ownings, but he continued to pray and to work as he Grew older and older, he continued to persist. Every year, a speech, every year, another vote, every year, defeat. Finally, he was unable to continue for health reasons. He retired to his home in London, and in that session, they had a great discussion of the subject. A vote, a motion was made to end slavery in all of the colonies of great britain around the world the motion passed there was a great outcry of joy among all of those that had worked with him for so long to end that and they set a runner to his home to help to tell him before he died that at last his great cause had been won. And the victory came. And of course, he rejoiced in the Lord that this had happened and in a lifetime of effort had succeeded. May I point out to you this Great Britain ended slavery without a civil war. That was William Wilberforce. Who changed the world?
4: William Wilberforce is one of the greatest examples of a Christian who brought his faith into the public square for good. So we might be right to ask where is today's William Wilberforce? Unfortunately, there have been many falsehoods that have been taught about the relationship between Christians and government, both outside and inside the church, that have kept Christians ineffective. You may believe that politics is something that Christians should not get involved with or that America's Constitution forbids Christian viewpoints in the realm of government. But you may be surprised to learn that those are both untrue. Find out what God's Word really does say about government and about how our founders intended for Christians to be involved in the civil realm. In 10 Truths About Christians and Politics, did you know that Christianity is the best foundation for law and politics and that God is our best protection against a government devolving into tyranny? Those are just two of the truths in this concise, readable book. It dispels the myths that both Christians and secularists have about politics. We'll send it to you as our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. When you donate, you're helping us to broadcast biblical truth on issues like this, a rarity in today's world. You're helping us to broadcast the gospel into places like Russia and the Ukraine and you're enabling our ministry at the newly relaunched D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Statesmanship in Washington, D.C., where we'll be making an impact on Capitol Hill in the corridors of power. So please, make a generous donation. If you're able to give a gift of $50 or more, we'll send you the 10 Truths About Christians in Politics book, plus the special DVD program, The Salt and Light Solution, Our Nation's Need for Christians in Politics Now. This exclusive DVD features remarks given by Virginia Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears as she was honored with our 2022 Distinguished Christian Statesman Award. It also features our 2021 honoree, former U.S. Representative Vicki Hartzler of Missouri. Both of these outstanding Christian leaders will encourage and enlighten you on how God's people are bringing light into our federal government. The DVD also features key messages from my father, Dr. D. James Kennedy, and Pastor Rob Pacienza on Christian statesmanship and Christian citizenship. That's our book, 10 Truths About Christians in Politics, as our thanks for your generous donation. And the book plus the exclusive DVD program, The Salt and Light Solution, Our Nation's Need for Christians in Politics Now, as thanks for your gift of $50 or more. Christian statesmen are the crying need of our day, and your gift helps us to encourage and equip them. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida 33339, or call toll free 877 962 7677, or go online to djkm.org.
2: It has become all too common in recent times for Bible-believing Christians to stay out of fields like politics, law, economics, and entertainment because such things are supposedly worldly. There have been many prominent evangelical preachers who've told us that such pursuits have nothing to do with the kingdom of God and that our focus should be merely preaching the gospel. But there's a major problem with this idea. Jesus himself refutes it in the Great Commission itself. He doesn't reduce his message to merely a plan for getting individual souls to heaven. It includes that, but it includes much more. Yet for some reason, many Christians today ignore the second half of that Great Commission. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There was a period in church history where a high metaphorical wall was built between the sacred and the secular. On one side, you had the things of the world, including the mundane issues of most of our daily lives, like work, money, food, and so forth. On the other side of the wall was spiritual pursuits God, heaven, prayer, worship, etc. Most of us lived and worked on the secular side of the divide, while priests and pastors labored on the sacred side. But the leaders of the Protestant Reformation, as they studied the Bible, discovered that this split isn't biblical. Instead, Jesus tells us to teach the world to obey everything he has commanded. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He adds, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Following the reformers, great statesmen like William Wilberforce understood that politics wasn't something to be shunned for a Christian. It was to be claimed for the glory of God, and as a result, Wilberforce got slavery abolished in the British Empire. Here in America, thankfully, enough Christians ignored the misguided message telling them to stay away from politics to finally get Roe v. Wade overturned at the Supreme Court. Lives will be saved and fewer children will be killed in the womb because Christians voted and participated in the political process for the glory of God. And it's why we're relaunching our D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Statesmanship in Washington, D.C. In the words of the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, To a man who lives unto God, nothing is secular. Everything is sacred. To draw a hard and fast line and say, this is sacred and this is secular, is to my mind diametrically opposed to the teaching of Christ and the spirit of the gospel. Remember that you're always welcome to come worship with us at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church here in Fort Lauderdale. And you can also join us by live stream at crpc.tv, where you'll find previous live streams and other resources. Thank you for joining us, and here's a look at the next Truths That Transform.
1: Some people think that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. Uh, To them, I say, why is that?
4: That's next week. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.